Welcome to Far Realms Radio. I'm Skyler. And I'm Justin. This is our podcast of many things. Where we give you eldritch advice to improve your Dungeons and Dragons games. Let's dive in. Welcome to Far Realms Radio. This session, we're going to talk about reward loops. And experience points. How you level up, and what keeps us playing the game. The good stuff. So, um, this is usually, I think, the kind of thing that brings us back to the game, right? Every time, this is the thing we go, whether we realize it or not. It's the, it's the nice feeling that we like out of it, you know? We, we want to do it. It's a positive reinforcement. It's the, the fun, I guess you could say. Um, reward loops like are often called like compulsion loops or core loops, uh, usually because it com- it's the core of the game or it compels you to take a certain behavior. Uh, essentially, they're a habitual chain of activities that will be repeated to gain a neurochemical reward, such as a feeling of pleasure, uh, which could be from like the release of dopamine. Dopamine. Uh, hit. Yeah, exactly. And or really from pain, uh, something bad not happening could also be part of that uh, neurochemical reward. Uh, so you see that you see this in all kinds of games. You see it all over the place in different parts of life. Uh, the thing these days, it's become much more uh, into the mainstream with all these social freemium games that want to compel you to spend money. I mean, um, this is social media. So it's been really refined, right? Over the last probably twenty years, more than Facebook it was games before. started a lot of this, right? You like, really saw this uh, hit gaming <laughs> like at least around 2000 or so when people first started really talking about it and applying it directly right. to games and game What's development, game design. Yep. I mean, it was there inherently before, but we didn't have this language. No, and it wasn't explicit to and talk about it as much. Not, it's certainly not cross industry. We didn't have industry. people doing studies on it, you know, writing right. books about it. So, uh, but yeah, so essentially it's a habitual chain of activities that repeat, you know, players essentially perform an action. They're rewarded. Uh, another possibility opens as a result of that action, and the cycle repeats. Uh, and there's, like, a lot of variety you can do to a reward loop. Um, the positive reinforcement can be strengthened by adding a variable ratio schedule, so each response has a chance of producing a reward, but not always. I mean, I think a lot of the study about this stuff came out of the open gaming license that we all could look at all the rules, right? And uh, the, the permutation you can see clear in, in D&D in the history so far, right? Like like you were saying earlier, uh, the reward loop has changed. But I think that 4th edition was maybe controversial for that reason, you know, and the reward loop changed it, again yeah. in 5th edition. It still had its core, like, identity. I mean, most of the reward loops we've seen games come from D&D, like, which predates all of these video games, right. pretty much. Um, the, other, the other kind that you'll see uh, when you look at these kind of reward loops is just avoidance schedule. Where essentially you're postponing a negative consequence, like the ticking time bomb. Right. Or if you've ever played XCOM, it's like the alien invasion. So it's not always like so much a reward as it is an avoidance of something bad happening. That's the reward. You don't get murdered by aliens. Right. <clears throat> you save the world from impending doom. Congratulations. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're essentially like used in games, uh, especially now specifically 
to like design a intrinsic motivation for players. Like you said, it's kind of like what we know we go back. We consciously think, I want to go back into this game and I want to do this thing because this is fun. Yeah. We, it's the thing that we consciously think about it. Um, I, I think even sometimes it's there when we, it's even before that too. Like I didn't realize for a long time when I played the game that the experience point gathering, the leveling up was what kept me so interested in it, you know, in D&D. Yeah, you may not be conscious of it. And some people may even make kind of their unintentionally create their own reward loops for themselves in the but game. I definitely showed up because I wanted to get my character more powerful, yep. which is exactly You want that. to advance it's the, the character. Right, you exactly. want that level right. up. And right. you, for the level up, you need experience points. I mean, and I think that experience points have been proven. There have been studies that it's one of the most powerful, compelling mechanics in a game. Oh, just points in general. Right. They can even have no meaning. Like Xbox achievement points. Right, achievements. It doesn't matter. If there's points and there's numbers going up, humans want them. That's what all the freemium games are based on. Like, we like seeing numbers go up. It's really that simple. It's really sad. I mean, D&D is but basically true. heroic fantasy, we, right? Who doesn't want to see those numbers go up? <laughs> Unless you're playing golf, in which case it's opposite. Or second edition, Thacko. That's why we don't do Thacko anymore, guys. <laughs> That's a great comparison. Thacko felt yeah, exactly yeah, right, like golf. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think it's important uh, to talk about, like, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, a.k.a., like, fun. You could call this fun. I don't like to call it fun because you can't really design fun. You can design a game and put it in front of the right audience, and maybe they'll find it fun. Right. You could have a great game and have an audience who just hates it. Know your, so, know your yeah, audience. You can't really design fun. Um, but... Uh, intrinsic. We're talking about you know intrinsic, or excuse me. When we're talking about uh, the compulsion loops, it's an extrinsic motivation, right? Like we are focused on accomplishing something for personal satisfaction. Uh, we understand like what we're doing consciously, and these are usually tasks that take more time. Like good examples would be unlocking new character options, collecting enough coins to buy new gear, unlocking an item to max level. Uh, reaching the max XP level. D&D has a lot of this. Right. right. Completing all the <clears throat> achievements in the game. I want to get to level 10. I want and to get to level And this is something 20. you're consciously thinking about doing. It's a task that you want to do. You want to complete it for the reward. You consciously think about this. This is like extrinsic motivation. Right. And video games have this a lot too, right? Like you specifically designed Diablo it in designed there. around this. Oh, like yeah. the, the more you do, the more you have the option to unlock. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's expressed in a lot of different ways. Every MMO ever. It's been interesting to see those came a lot of that thinking out of D&D and Warhammer and these yeah, early RPGs. It's funny. Shatter one and the like, and then Permute having these systems be influenced back by where video games went with right. it. All the language we have to talk about these kind of things come from the uh, offspring of D&D, not D&D itself, which is really interesting. I think that the next one is really interesting, the, the, the intrinsic part of it, it, is because it reminds me of the kind of rewards i get out of pinball oh yeah intrinsic is so hard but that's really i think of intrinsic motivation or fun is kind of like the magic of a game i think in in dnd this is the rolling of the d20 yes that's a good good example um so essentially intrinsic motivation is the fun you have subconsciously uh you're not really always aware or entirely aware or conscious of why it's fun you just know it's fun you're doing something because it feels good usually they're they're pretty simple they're usually integrated somehow to the core game mechanics like skyler said like rolling the d20 or in like Super Mario, jumping is a good example. Yeah, jumping or jumping on Goombas. Usually, you know, bonk, you know bonk, usually bonk. it's a short lifespan kind of thing. It's like a quick happening. It's not something you're building up to for a long time. FPS games often have this so, as the blam of the gun. Yeah, right? yeah the blam of the gun. Jumping in Super Mario, just pressing right, jump can be right. fun. Uh, not getting killed. Picking uh, picking up coins is fun. Like ding 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 ding. Like Sonic, Sonic I love the sound of the rings. That. Yeah, I know. It's just so satisfying. 
Um, exploring the game world, like Breath of the Wild is another good, great example. It's just fun to run around and explore. I want to see what's under but, that map. Yeah, but you're not always consciously thinking of it. And I think a lot of the time in game design, when you can get the intrinsic happening, that's the magic. Yeah, and I think that's why they designed 5th Edition so much around the D20. And it's really their IP. I think that they really thought about it as, this is the thing people like that's fun. And, you know, you can, reasonable people can disagree about whether it's more fun to roll one big D20 or like a handful of D6s or D10s or whatever. The D20 is cooler. What I take away from it is people like rolling <laughs> dice. So. I mean, it's casting fireballs fun too. Don't right. Don't get me wrong. Right. And know, know what kind of dice you like to roll. And uh, ultimately, it doesn't much matter in this because that's the, the fun part of the game. That's why they put it back in. That's why you have weird mechanics like advantage and disadvantage and they don't stack and, you know, for all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's it's important to have it in there, and especially in the way that D&D does this one, I think, pretty well, is that a lot of time when you look at these uh, reward loops, they have kind of a, a time to completion that you can categorize them by, right? Like, for example, getting S-rank on all stages is probably going to take a while, mm. but going and jumping on some bad guys is sh short, quick, and satisfying. Right. Right, or just getting enough XP to level up is a pretty medium one. So you can categorize them that way. And D&D, &D, you'll see, has kind of these at different levels. Like maybe you want to level up as your long term. Your short term could be loot, you know, and or just killing some orcs. Yeah. These are mapped pretty well to the types of players as well we talked about previously. Yeah, you'll like, notice certain players tend to gravitate towards certain like rewards in the game. How long they want to invest. Like some people just want out. XP to level up. They don't care about anything else. Some people just want to kill orcs. Doesn't some matter people what just they do. want all they want is a magic sword. They literally could care about nothing else. As long as they get a cool magic sword, they'll be 100% stoked. That's correct. That that player exists. So, I mean, these are these are important in the design because they keep us coming back. It's important from the business's perspective because it's how they keep people playing their game and making money. Um, and it's important for us as players because it's worth thinking about what kind of rewards we get and where we find most satisfying. Um, I like to have a diversity, and uh, I like to play in a game that has a spread. I've played in groups where, you know, it hews more toward one side or the other, like the tactics, we're going to fight the entire time. And other ones where it's like, can we play this game that doesn't have any fighting, you know? So I think that having having a good sense of it from the player perspective, too, for what you're looking for is part of the conversation. Oh, definitely. It's good for the players to understand the loop because it kind of what drives you towards the win state of the game. It's the carrot being held out in front of you towards that win state over there, right. which in D&D, &D, the win state is pretty much don't die keep progressing your character right and you know everything else is going to be campaign specific level up but by the core by the system it's don't die and level up exactly uh it, it it's really good to look at these when you look at a game if you look at the reward loop it's going to reveal to you what that game cares about like what that game is really designed to do and designed to support and it will kind of give you an idea of okay this game is designed to do these things to elicit these like reactions or neurochemical rewards or feelings from my players yep right and that kind of gives you an idea if you look at D, &D it's like wow this is mostly about killing things and taking their stuff there's some <laughs> other skills in here a little bit and some some exploration but mostly murdering but it, it just tells you like in terms of mechanically what a game cares about right because right. where does mechanically right. D, D care about is the combat that's where it, it gets gives, you, it gives you tools for other kind of stuff it is very granular yeah. on combat i i think that i would maybe frame it like in a there's a different compatible way and I, w and I would look like this. 
D&D is a framework for imagining together and f- fighting monsters or solving problems together, and it has a lot of specific rules around the most contentious part of any shared imagination, combat. So of course, it, and it where does, the stakes are high. Where, where the that, stakes are the highest, life That's where the rule gets more granular. You know, and it's not the only one that does that, right? Like, Battletech is another example of very crunchy combat rules with reward mechanics built around the round-to-round uh, in giant robots fighting. Same thing. Yeah. And it has minimal rules and an attached role-playing game around all the social stuff because that's more squishy and you shouldn't need it. Contrast with, let's say, Fate System, which puts them on even par, right? Same thing. Same reward true. loop for either one. Yep. You know, and it makes I, I it feel very it, different. It, it also shows you, that's my point, though. It kind of shows you, like, D&D really cares about combat. It does. Like, you it should really be does. ready to do this. It really cares about conflict resolution. And I think it's a great way to look at a game because it kind of tells you, like, hey, this is what you want to aim for. You know, like, when I play a game for the first time, like, I try to identify that reward loop because I'm like, oh, okay, so we want to collect those items. That's how we win. We want those items. All right, right. now I know how to win. Like, because that's... That's what I do with games, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, and but <laughs> the, the thing is that I think that in D&D in particular, the combat system is just a facade on top of a, the more important reward loop and the best one we have so far, which is experience points. Oh, yes, of course. It's and just a method you, to get there. Right. And they give you means by which you can get experience through a bunch of different non-combat related ways. But the interesting part about D&D, and to your point, is that for any challenge in a given level the combat encounter will always grant more experience than any of the other... Yeah, in this edition, that's for sure. There's been previous editions where it's been slightly different. Yep. Like, Moldavade D&D, it was gold. Like, it wasn't even worth killing monsters. Right. Like, you could avoid it. Like, why? Because your experience just, came just in, in how gold. much treasure you had. That yeah. persisted even yeah. in the second edition. Exactly. But yeah, now it's pretty much... XP is the primary reward. The game's de- designed around it. Like, you get more XP means more level ups, which means more ability to get more XP. And then you have loot that kind of helps you in endeavors of gaining more xp and not dying so loot while loot is its own reward there it really feeds into that xp reward system because most loot what are you going to use it for in the end result not dying gaining more xp i mean and we see this in everyday life i think that it exists in everyday life too right this this is not a new thing specific to gaming like it it exists in in sports you know uh there's a very clear reward reward loop in basketball when the ball changes hands or even changes teams you know and and it's pretty fast compared to baseball with a longer uh each for an inning. um monster hunter was an interesting call out on wikipedia i think as we were looking yeah at when i was looking at this, kind of this was actually the example on wikipedia and i loved it because when we both started playing the most recent monster hunter it's world such a good game i remember we talked to each other we were like wow the reward loop in this is amazing. I can't, I can't put it down. This reward loop is brilliant. And it didn't have just one either. Like and, there are a few like for collecting yeah. things and for fighting. But I was impressed. For... It was funny because we, we explicitly talked about it. And then when we were researching this episode, we're like, there oh, it funny. It's the example on Wikipedia. <laughs> that Good job, guys. <laughs> well, hey, they nailed, and, they nailed it. Loot boxes, too, is another one you see. Slightly different, though, with loot boxes. It's essentially gambling more than the other ones. Yes. This is like Pokemon cards as a kid, those booster packs. Like looking back, I'm like, oh my god. Isn't it all gambling? It's just gambling for children. If there's any RNG in there. Oh yeah. But yeah, essentially these are getting those dopamine rewards. You don't know, like it's unpredictable. This is like scratch-offs. It's the same thing. Yeah, you get that that higher unpredictability makes it more exciting. 
So, that's why in games they like have all the like the visuals and the explosions when you open a box. You know, it's like trying to make it as epic as possible, right. as rewarding it, as it can it, get because you. Because it makes it feel it's better. It's like a hit of dopamine. I mean, that's why casinos have lights, right? yeah. flashing lights. It's and true. Stars. It's a good point. Same thing. So, I mean, D and D has had this for a while, right? And there's RNG involved, random number generator, D&D which is kind of the OG of a lot of these. Which ideas. means that uh, you're not guaranteed to win. You know, you, you're even it's possible your party could just roll crappy and you guys TPK. TPK. So, you know, but in D&D, the most powerful ones are XP and loot. Yeah. Collecting stuff. Yeah. And that that started with like gold and treasure, but pretty quickly, I think, in the first Dungeons & Dragons Advance and then second edition turned into collecting magic items. Magic items became that focus real fast. Real fast. Because not only are they extremely valuable, but also they break the rules. Oh, it's great. They're so much fun. They doesn't want to break the rules. But this changed quite dramatically in, I think, from second edition to third edition because in second edition and first edition, you know, they they were kind of broad rule breaking without a lot of adjudication. they weren't super specific. You figured out at your table and we have these large tomes of all the catalog of weird magic items that there were in the encyclopedia magic it was much looser right and uh and then the third edition it all got systemized with pluses and minuses that would relate to other things so there was a quote-unquote reasonable system that you could parse through all of it the funny thing is it's because if that loot system is too powerful you gain xp too easily and that's what really breaks the game there, right? Yeah. Is that reward risk ratio of gaining XP and doing encounters doesn't really matter as much. Then also by the end of third edition, three point five, Pathfinder plus whatever, it kind of felt like groups, yeah. you know, yeah. where it was like so many different crunchy possibilities that it was, you know, rewarding in every which way that you wanted to invest a lot of math and time. Oh yeah. And then I fourth mean, edition was like, let's learn from the community, right? Yeah, the original honestly in back in O D and D that's where it all started with the experience points at least magic items were probably more gm fiat at that time yeah they weren't they weren't common back in in the first in first edition yeah. there were a few like magic sword or magic shield like like you would see in a board game yeah yeah like yeah, exactly Quest. it was like yeah or munchkin yeah here's exactly. your like magic sword card right uh but arneson apparently david arneson invented them actually for blackmore when he was doing that before the release of dungeons and dragons uh in the 1974 release of D is where he first published this uh, experience point system but according to D lore of old arneson first play tested it with gygax when they were developing chainmail um, the playtesting group was having so much fun they didn't want the experience to end so arneson had the idea to let characters earn points from successfully completing a game they get these experience points and they could level up with enough points in between games so they could play the next game with their newer high level character and Gygax was really on board with this idea. Um, so you saw that come to fruition in uh, D&D in 74 a little bit later. So that it wasn't published in Chainmail. They, they playtested it, but they never actually included it in the rule set. So it wasn't, that's why it's lore, right? I'm not sure if it, no right. one's sure. Right. Uh, but it shows up first in 74 in D&D. And then the Blackmore stuff came out as supplements later. It was his own little game Arneson had before he developed it into supplements later the D, like the calculation for experience points per level has always been kind of a black magic you know in, in throughout the different editions and third edition oh, yeah, made a, a black very, box you're like very, where are you getting this from made a very clear progression you could reverse engineer but like fourth edition changed it fifth edition changed it again second edition it was totally arbitrary like it wasn't even the same class to class you know oh, so no. your reward loop was literally tied to which class you're going to play it which should feel more board game like except because of the long reward loop yeah. for a wizard and by which i don't just mean next level 
I mean, like, you're not going to get anything interesting For until level nine. Yeah. I mean, that, that's part of, like you said, board games, because it was tied to war games, right? right? And in war games, you had a lot of soldiers who could increase in rank. And so you kind of have this ranking uh, promotion system present in war games, and that very clearly made its way into OD&D, and parts of it came fell out of the game later. But if you look at OD&D, every time you level up, uh, your class gains a new rank title, right? So based on your class, your character gets a new title. So fighting men, they were, as you leveled up, were a veteran, warrior, swordsman, hero, swashbuckler, myrmidon, champion, superhero, okay, and, and lord. Lord at the top. Yeah. So you would, as you would level, you'd get these titles. Magic user is a funny one because it goes medium, seer, conjurer, theurgist, thaumaturgist, magician, enchanter, warlock, sorcerer, necromancer, and wizard. So you just change genres of magic user as you level up, <laughs> as apparently. You more powerful. You and can see the clear influence from sword actually, and sorcery here. You're not a wizard until you're at the highest of levels. Right. So good luck. And then clerics, you had acolyte, adept, village priest, <laughs> right? Like, how's that a step up from adept? Congratulations, I've become good enough like, to be you your to priest. With, you have to deal with the whole tough. village? Like, fuck that. <laughs> uh, then vicar, curate, bishop, llama, patriarch. <laughs> I don't, yeah, they're, they're very strange. But you used to have that. So you can kind of see where that idea came from, these ideas of ranks increasing. They took this out of later editions because it's a little silly and it forces your character <laughs> into certain boxes that role playing might not make sense right like if you're a swordsman and you use a spear it's like this this doesn't make sense you know warhammer fantasy roleplay had this too and i think that one of the things that was differentiator in this reward loop in days of yore was that D had a vertical reward loop and here's a good example of that as you progress in experience you get better at what you are. You become more powerful at what you already do. It still exists in the game today. Oh, yeah. You don't make a lot of meaningful choices. You don't diverge. You know, you go in that same right. river. You're not right. going off on a tributaries. I'm going to become better at what I started out as. Versus Warhammer, uh, and, and still, I think today it's like this, and other systems like Fate 2, where it's horizontal. And as your character gains experience, you change but you are not better necessarily. You're just different. You change careers. You have different skills. You do still have some of those old skills. So the more you do it, you do get generally better, but there's a tapering off and a, and a limit. 3-5 so had a little more horizontal with the prestige classes. It did, but everything but you did increased level. your numbers. So even yeah. if you chose suboptimal choices, you'd still get pluses, you know, and it was more about cases for wear. And uh, I, I don't think that, it's possible to have a game that does the best at both. I think it's like an axis, you know, yeah, you imagine yeah. sort of a plot between these types I of agree. reward loops. Does it go vertical and allow you to become eventually superheroes and then Lords, or does it allow you to go horizontal and have a bunch of other experiences? That's where you, you know, you mathematically limit it in certain directions, right? You right. build taller, wide, specialized or broad, right? Man, I, so I, we've been talking a lot about this, and I'm feeling pretty parched. I think that we should stop in this tavern here like we do. This is our reward loop for the show. And have our reward loop. Where we just find a tavern and drink beer. <laughs> it's great. All right. Let's do it. Let's go in. Welcome to Tavern Talk, our segment where we review a brew, a brew and toast to you. Our valued listeners. 
and we're going to talk about a um, a level up of a beer that we have previously reviewed, and uh, also the current promo that we have going on. Yeah, so previously we had Golden Drac, and it was great. Golden Dragon, it's a Belgian triple originally, it's sort of a rare, on our episode talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And so today we decided to level up the Golden Drac, and this one is the Golden Drac 9000 Quadruple. Power level more than 9,000. So I guess that's 9,000 times 4. So it's really 36,000. How is it even possible? That's a crazy power level. Vegeta's head would explode. I know. And uh, I think that um, I like Golden Draw quite a bit. It's a you know a, a very refined and, and strong Did triple. they choose the right feet when they leveled up? Like, what do you <laughs> I think, think? I think this one doubles down on what the other one also had very is... D of it to do right you know Just it becomes down. it becomes more of what it already was it's probably at the limit of what i would do out of like a belgian ale yeah it's, it's pretty strong it's for a belgian intense i'm like wow this is an intense belgian ale this is the this Oof. is you know if if the other one is level five this one is at least level 15 it has a keep it does yeah it's it does. brewing in that you keep. might find this in a treasure hoard it has a nice Shiny label. Yeah. So if for some reason, the regular Golden Drac, you want to kick it up a notch. It would make ex- an excellent gift for a holiday. This is, also, it has 9,000 right on the bottle. It's, if someone's in the know... How is that even possible? They, they'll appreciate it. <laughs> but anyway, we're also doing a promo. So we have a holiday promo. It's a New Year, New Dice promo. Because everyone needs excuses for more dice. I mean, I always am a fan of beautiful dice. And this time we're giving away some lovely dice from Die Hard Dice that Justin and I both use and uh, have come to really love at our table. Reliable, solid dice. Uh, The first one is in Far Realms Radio Colors. It's a nice, strange, otherworldly green and uh, they don't have... Well, you, you'll see it online. You can go yeah. look on the Twitter. We'll post something on the Twitter. Um, the picture on the website doesn't do them justice. And it's a, it's a full set of six. Uh, I guess seven? Yeah, you seven. Get a, you get a whole set of seven for the for this in a nice tin. Mm, and for the runner-up, we have a... We also have, for second place, a big, weird-looking, shiny... Dire D20. Dire D20. That's pretty cool-looking. It's a prismatic, forged Dire D20. It's space-like, you know? Yeah. Fits the Far Realms... Yeah theme there uh, i'm a little bit envious i have a big d20 it's a plastic one not one of these i know i kind of want to order one of these dire d20s now and the dire d20 has better it's, heft than my big plastic it gives d20 you, like as a dm some real heft to that roll here this roll's gonna like, matter i have a d100 i have a d100 that i use for like d100 rolls and it's always epic so i might be on board with some of these dire d20s for those important rolls marketing it's working yeah Ah. All right. Well, well, I guess we should get back and uh, talk about the reward loop in our day and day. I need more XP. Yeah. You can never have enough XP. All right. Let's get some more. Back to the show. Out of the tavern. Optical Orcs. So let's talk about what the reward loop looks like in today's game because they made it very explicit in fourth edition and it was very they learned from the community of video games um even though they didn't take community feedback or play test um and it did, didn't feel like D the reward loop a lot yep. of people would say it was a little too like 
felt too mechanical almost. And fifth edition, they walked some of that back ostensibly, but we've been playing fifth edition for a while now. And I think that maybe where I will start this conversation as we talk about what of what the reward loop looks like in today's 5e, it feels to me like it's the fourth edition reward loop from a mechanical perspective. When you get certain power levels, how you negotiate the different kinds of things your character can do, it has just a veneer on top that makes it look more like D&D used to look. I think they kind of just took three five paint and threw it over the fourth edition yes. mechanics. And they're like, this is, this kind of works. I will say the CR is the best it's ever been. So the EXP that comes with it is usually pretty on point, like in terms of balancing encounters, giving XP for them. Yeah. That feels like second like that, edition. That's easier to pace and it's pretty solid. Um, the reward loop in five E is stated as such as your character goes on adventures and overcomes challenges he or she gains experience, represented by experience points. A character who receives a specified experience point total advances in capability. This advance is called gaining a level. So, it's pretty straightforward that adventures and overcoming challenges will get you XP. That comes down to your DM to define what those are. <laughs> um, as written, the rules is written, you pretty much just get experience for murdering things. It does have a section where it talks about what to do for non-combat encounters, but my my one bit of disappointment or critique here is this is more work than you should be making the DM do. They bought the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like, parse it down a little bit because you go to this page that it tells you to go to and you're just doing more equations. I will say once you work out the math of your party, if as long as the levels aren't fluctuating a ton, you'll have the formula set. So You'll I know what it... This you is kind of dull it out I, that way. Yeah, I totally agree. And here's the funny part. Like, I, this just makes me laugh because in second edition, this was how it was. You know, there was, you could tell they had some formula and you didn't know what it was. And you came up with what progression rate you wanted and how many encounters of different types you needed for your wizard and your fighter and your rogue, your thief, sorry. And, <laughs> uh, and you had to figure out like, all right, what's our progression going to be? And you did some work as a DM. Third edition, they made it explicit and you could follow a chart and you didn't have math. to think about it. And you just did the charts. Right. Exactly. And Pathfinder doubled down on that. And in fourth edition, they made it explicit again, but they made it explicit in a very gamey way. It was very friendly to the DM. It was very easy to manage progression and reward loops. It just didn't feel like D&D people said. It was almost too impersonal. And in fifth edition, they took it away again and they made it so that if you read fifth edition for the first time you might have the opportunity to come up with your own way by which to do that that's interesting that's a nice addition thank you but also they took away the explicitness of here's the chart we used and i'm like uh, you know, why we already learned this lesson I mean, guys come they, on i'm giving they, you my money we, they we have should, the like, chart in there and they do it at least they explain like once you calculate this you probably you can just use these numbers again forever i mean and also like but uh, it takes a whole page of like explanation for them to give you you that. have to go online to learn about bounded accuracy and then go to a very like angry gm has a bunch of charts that he figures out and puts online which is great and i, I totally support his blogging of that yeah and he has some good xp strategies on there it would be really nice if the if the the thing that we bought had that? Had that as a player. I know. It would also be nice if I could buy one book with all the fucking spells in it. That would be nice, I'm like too. like flipping to Xanthars, all and then I'm flipping to the player's handbook, See, and I'm flipping to Sword Coast. Just put all the spells in one fucking book. It's called a spell book. So uh, in second edition, eventually, <laughs> this is before the days of the internet, we had, and I have these books on my shelf, the uh, Encyclopedia Magica, it was the Tomes of Magic. It had yeah. all the spells that there ever were for that edition. Tomes of Magic. Now, this was before the internet, so Good there were like stuff. books that you would buy. Now that we have the internet, one of the things that I think that D&D could learn really well from the community is have a website with all of the spells listed 
and that you can search them. The problem is like D&D Beyond, you have to buy them all separately. And I'm like, I'm not going to buy four books I already own on here just so I can look spells up virtually. I mean, D20 PFSRD is community owned. Yeah, for, for those. But if you're playing a warlock, you're kind of, you're screwed. I think we can solve this problem. Yeah. I guess <laughs> so. Copyright be damned. You know, the, this is like I think it, it's an intentional choice. It was an intentional choice on their part. I think that they. It looks like they added this part back so that you could figure it out for yourself yeah. because that's part of the the experience of original D anD D that worked really well. I agree, and they give you enough rules to to kind of figure this out for non combat encounters. I just wish it was a little bit more of a focus in the main rules because so much of like they talk about the three pillars all the time and then the only pillar you see really get the proper treatment is the one that involves murdering and battle yes. which yes. i love yes i love it but i also like exploration too and that's me too a little bit more of reward for that because right now a lot of the time you don't really get rewarded for that i mean or also reward for like crafting or building one of the things that this game often does and has done in the past this is, is true. reward loops for i want to build an empire and it's role play yeah, it's not just level. fighting monsters in a dungeon and uh, and yeah it does that really well and you can definitely bolt on stuff to the system better than a lot of other it'd editions. be nice to have some stuff that's coherently attached you right. know yes it's it's that expectation is there from the community, so it's kind of funny that we still don't see those a lot. I think it's just an interesting... This tells me a lot that I, for an equal level challenge for a party, I get more experience for the combat challenge than any of the other ones, social or trap solving that's or anything true, like that. You right? know? So it's like, well, that that's, that tells you what the So your players are going to be like, well, I'm just, if I get more XP from murdering, I'm going to murder. Can we fight it? Can yeah, we fight well, it? Can we fight it? Yeah. Why Can we fight wait, it? Oh, I don't get XP for talking this out. Why would I talk this out? Can we fight it? Exactly. Yeah. There's always that one player. It's usually me. Um, who's like, so this has been an hour and this talking's great, but I want to kill something with my sword now. Um, that'd be great. <laughs> That's also me. Yeah. Because I think it's because we're DMs and, you know, we're like, so this is cool. All the planning's nice. I plan a lot. So can there must be a conflict here we can resolve let's, somewhere. Yes. Let's do Let's move this along. Let's go pick a fight. I, I only Somebody get, needs to be fought. I'm only going to be a player very little much. So let's go. <laughs> So, but there, I think D&D does in this edition learn some other kinds of things from other, other systems. Like I like that they, yeah, talk about more options that you right, could do. Right. And the, my one issue with the DMG is it's like a book of like, hey, you could do this. You could also do this. You could do this. How about you try this? We didn't play test any of these and it may break your game in places that Good we're luck. not going to tell you about. And it kind of bugs me because they sell it as like this book of like, oh yeah, you can just bolt any of this on kit and it'll be fine. And it's like, <laughs> no. How, some of these rules contradict each other. That's like the one thing that drives me crazy with the DMG. I'm like, have the balls to put the, some of this in the, just as part of the game. Feats are optional. Step it up, guys. Come on. I agree. I think, I mean, I think that there's no reason that, or maybe I'll say it like this. In my mind, it's in the published material, so optional means included unless the DM has a reason not to include it. But so just to a, reframe it here, like as a publishing as thing. As a player, you look at that and you go, this means my DM could just say no if he doesn't like it. That's true. Um, and th that that's also part of the game. It changes. That changes how players' behavior functions in the game. But I think that one of the things that we saw out of some of these things like Milestone Experience in prior editions came later, in Unearthed Arcana editions, right? So 3rd edition had yes. been out for 3rd edition and then 3.5, and then finally at the end of 3.5, before Pathfinder took it, they had Unearthed Arcana that talked about, here's how you can advance characters, not based on experience, but when they get a milestone, they can level up one part of their class, and they get the attack bonus from the next yep. level, or yep. the spells from the next level, or the abilities from the next level, and when they have all four, then they have the next level. So, you know, that's a novel way to change the game, and I think that the 
hard part to talk about this for for the from this perspective about this game that they can never directly say is that this is a part of the game that hasn't been institutionalized uh, or solved. We want to include some specific ways to tell you to customize it for yourself, that you need to pay attention as a DM to the reward loops that your players have. But we can't give you advice about that necessarily because A, we're trying to sell toys and they sometimes are in book form and B, we're not your therapist and we don't know you or your group. I think it's nice that they give you a little bit of space because they know players are going to create their own reward loops. Yes. Some players just want to have a pet to foster or a they want to run a bakery. Want to have knows? a job? Who knows? I'm not going to play those D and D games, but there are people playing them. I mean, there are some in our games. I mean, yes, yes. That's why I always have to push the murder so hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, not murder hoboing, just the murdering part. The usual, the regular D and D. Intentional murder, not yeah, random we, wanton we have, murder. We have homes, okay? <laughs> Jeez, not vagabonds. We have to murder everyone uh, who's trying anyways. to attack our home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyways, the DMG kind of non-combat counters, it essentially tells you you can award experience to characters for overcoming challenges outside of combat. And then it tells you, go to chapter 3, page 82, um, and kind of follow the instructions for building the combat as though it were an encounter of the same difficulty. I think that the only advice that I have... okay, it's it, just a lot of work to do. It is. I think the the for the, the harried DM out there, the only advice I would say for this is award experience more often than you think you should and in smaller amounts than your gut tells you pick an easy number like 50 or 100 and give out 50 or 100 all the time and they'll get past level one two and three quickly and they'll stay at four five eight in that range for a long time and it feels good i agree and we'll talk about some of those specifics in a couple seconds because those are good and that can really make a big difference it's it always sometimes it's it's more about how you hand it out than how much you're giving out yes um, how you how do you wrap that present? Uh, but the milestones is become much more popular of a method. Uh, milestone XP, I think, for D and D and coming from other games, like you were saying, essentially it's in the DMG. It says you can also award XP when characters complete significant milestones. Uh, when preparing the adventure, designate certain events or challenges as said milestones. It gives you a couple of examples. Like re- reaching an important destination, Rivendell, <laughs> discovering a hidden location or piece of information, throwing the ring in, things like that um, that you would get XP for. Um, and you want to treat the male, major milestones, they recommend treating them as a hard encounter, minor milestones as an easy encounter. Um, and then they talk about what you were saying earlier, you can reward players for their progress with something more than XP or treasure. For example, you give them bits of their next level, mm-hmm. you can give them an extra bit of healing, you give them magic item, whatever. Um, You can throw those into the reward loop to kind of pull them along. I think one of the things that often DMs fall into, especially new DMs, have a quandary around is how much do I reward my players? And It's tough. That's like such a hard thing. You don't want to be stingy, but you don't want to give too much because then your rewards don't feel impactful. I think that the core mechanic of the game is about rewards, both experience and in loot, and magic items are a big part of that. And the reason I say it like this is because as the DM, our instinct is to give them less to make the ones that we do hand out more meaningful, and that's the wrong choice. I, I think you've got to find a middle ground with it. I think, yeah, uh, yes, and I think that you have to because I've definitely given out too much before and regretted it. Yeah, but I'd I, rather give them out too much than not at all. The DM might regret it, but the players really enjoy exactly. it. And so the DM says, you know, at that point maybe it was actually the right choice because they all had a good time, which is also a part of the game, even though it's like. 
uh, I don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, or did was it too powerful and did it throw off all the? That's okay. That's part of it. That that's part of what makes the game as a you'll have learn a, as you go. Have a good reward one. loop. Is sometimes it's uneven. It's it's you'll, lopsided. You'll notice you push on the gas too much for the reward loop right, there and pull right. back. But then it corrects. You know, you quickly learn how to throw more. Anyway, so but I think there's a couple advantages and disadvantages of the different systems. For like, if we're looking at the milestone XP or the like quest based experience points. It does take a little choice away from the players. Like they can alter maybe the reward risk ratio of that scenario depending on how they try to solve it. Whether they're upfront about it, whether they're sneaky, whether they plan a lot. Milestones feel great from a DM's perspective. DM loves it because you, you can get control to control it. when their advancement is and what the reward mechanic is. And from the player's perspective, it feels a little bit like what is the thing? Where's the button I need to press? There's a button it's somewhere like, around yeah, here. Like and when I press point, that button, we'll level up. Where do I find the button? You're in a point and click adventure, and there's some rails on it. Yeah, so exactly. it does feel like that. Um, and it does kind of rely on DM Fiat for those quests unless you're calculating it. Um, but it, it can work. I think if you're going to do that, you need to make it really clear what your players can get XP for. Right. And as a player, it can kind of You have to give them a lot to click on. Because you, you feel like, oh, if I go and get this this like random fight over here and gain some experience, it won't matter because it's not doesn't have anything to do with that quest over there. So sometimes that can break verisimilitude for players, or some people just don't like that because they feel like they're losing agency, and I totally get it. Uh, I personally prefer our next one over Milestone Quest XP, which is character goal experience points. Uh, this is something you see in a lot of current games in the OSR revolution. Like uh, Star Without Numbers is one of them. Essentially, it allows players more agency because they can choose their goals that are going to give them the experience points. Hmm. It also means they can screw themselves over by giving themselves like goals that are too hard to achieve in a single session or goals that are just unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it relies heavily on example and, and making sure that it's in a... This Knowing is the system a little bit. How well you can set a goal and maintain work toward it, right? So. Yeah. Some Maybe players for, will suffer. For some players, that's exactly what they want. They can lay out, here's my goal, DM. I want to be able to build a keep, and that needs these and things. break and, it down into small things, like get the materials for the keep, get right, the labor, and right. those little mini goals are how you want to do it. Right. Um, that can be a lot of work. Uh, it isn't in a lot of the published modules that you get, usually. Mm-hmm. The published modules don't really give you that kind of alternative, so there's, it depends on, A, how much time you have as the DM, and B, what your players will find rewarding. Exactly. So it can work well if you have a very character-focused game. I personally like it more than a, a milestone or quest experience points because it gives the players a little bit more agency to determine like what they want to do to advance. One of the things I think it's important to say explicitly that isn't often talked about, but I, I think that should just be assumed for all DMs, period, for this game, is make sure that every session... You hand out experience. Oh yeah, we we'll go through. We should go through our best practices for experience, and that's definitely a big one of them. I mean, like you don't want to do a session to get. It's no the XP. core. It's a core reward mechanic, and you, from a purist's perspective, you shouldn't have to do that. My game shouldn't require. It should be fun enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in practice, in reality, it ha- it needs to happen. It needs to happen. The one last one to talk before about that would be gold for XP. Yeah, this you, was, have, you have more experience with gold X for XP. I haven't actually ever been a player in a game with using gold for XP. Right. I've looked at it as a curiosity and like giggled about it. I mean, I, that's it. I, I I always sort of this never really made sense to me, and that's that's why I don't like it. In it second edition, we had the option to do it. It was one of the DMG optional rules, and I I ran a game, and a friend of mine ran a game, and we ran them, you know, sort of similar to how you and I run them, and. 
we had run through a bunch of different campaigns. It was like high school, you know, so you years had a lot of years, time. Years. Yeah, a lot of time. And um, and I, I never had used that system. It didn't really make sense. So I was like, it seems obvious to me that the way that works is you kill the monster and you get experience for it. And if I, as the DM, feel compelled to give you experience, I can come up with a number and just give it to you. And it says so right here. So don't argue if you're not getting the experience you want. You got to go kill this thing first or yeah. whatever. You know, do the quest, man. Right. And then he started running games and he ran them in for a while. And then eventually he ran one. And he's like, I want to start using this treasure rule where you get experience for the treasure you got. And I was like, that's weird. But and then I looked at my sheet and the history of the treasure that we had gotten so far, and I was like. Okay. But fine. But yeah, sure. But okay. And uh, <laughs> and 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 my hunch was right. And it made us balloon because he gave both the creature experience that you would get from killing the monster and the treasure experience. And that's why you usually see it tick the creature down, XP down in those systems so hard. Which made Which us... Lame. We went way high, way more powerful in, in the campaign. And, and he had fear he was like i don't know what to do you guys are so powerful i can't control the story and and i you know yeah oops Whoa. but also that's part of the game and uh let go let go of control but um <laughs> anyway uh, so then he was like i should have not given you a creature experience when we did that i should have only given you a reward experience and i was like and that was where i i think i learned the lesson that it doesn't matter it's more about because i had a good time even than mm-hmm. that and the other players had a good, really yeah. good time too and he our dm our poor DM had anxiety about it. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, it does make you think about your in-game economy more and that it's really easier for the DM to kind of like screw themselves over. Yeah, but if the players are having fun, let it go. Oh, yeah, I agree, of course. Like, you if know, you're doing a hack and slash, who cares? It's heroic it, fantasy. It, it it's can break the fantasy. fiction a little bit sure, for some players. Sure. They're like, wait, so I get better at skills from having more money ra- Shh, rather don't than ask. doing the Just thing. like Jimmy, who wasn't here yeah. last week, is here this week yeah. for some reason, and He's we didn't here. explain it. It's, it's fine. This is not that kind yeah, of game. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it's I, not your long-form, yeah, beautiful I, like, narrative. I just, yeah, some people take that a little too seriously. I'm at like, best, it's a, I'm rough, like, it's a rough draft. I'm like, you're making this harder than it needs to be. <laughs> like, just don't worry so much about the continuity. Like, oh, the character's mm-hmm. here this week? Cool. When you're an adult, you should just be happy you have time to play a game. To D&D's credit, actually, <laughs> this is one of the things I think that it really makes sense why it's focused on killing monsters and taking their stuff, you know, because it's a reliably consistent thing that no matter who shows up that week, you can be like, let's go kill some monsters and take their treasure and enhance the town, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that old, old, style, old school video game style where it's yeah. like, hey, all right, we're going to go into the dungeon and then we're going to go and enhance the town and we're gonna, that person's going to die and then we're going to go into the dungeon again. And That's what you do. So right. let's talk about our guidelines for experience points. Uh, you were already saying to either end the session with that XP reward or something that you do that I like is you dole it out at the end of each encounter. Immediately. Or after the players overcome an obstacle or achieve a, a big uh, thing they were working towards. Yeah. I, I try to give it out as fast as I can. I, I think like that. It's rewarding. It challenges me to think on my toes as the DM. And One of the things I like about it is I'm always trying to pay attention to what's a thing that they did. I'm watching for the players to put their characters at risk. And that's where I, I look. Did they? Because they'll create some risk. They built their character to do something, you know, and they'll they'll help guide each other too. Like, oh, let's get the face up there in front and have him start talking. Maybe he can talk our way out of this. Or, oh, I have a plan, you know, and maybe the player has some real world history that they like or they know something that they bring to their character and the game 
is part of that as well. So you find, okay, well, right now I need to find some way to, okay, you, you came up with this interesting plan based on real world, et cetera, that you get an experience reward right then. And then I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do the math later. I don't have to go into the, where I fell into in prior editions of like second edition yeah. where you, you don't give any experience until the end of the adventure. Yeah. And then you go through and you go, don't which, remember which you go encounter through. and yeah. tally it all up and you go, wham, here's a big, because I think also the other thing I do is I don't require a rest when they level up. I think that, I try to shorten that reward loop as fast as I can. You That's gain experience, gain experience, gain experience. That you and I do right, exactly. Yeah. And 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 I and I decided, you know what? If you and you can wait until we rest That's or whatever. But Bing, you yeah. level up. If you're gonna do it right now, go. Yeah. And there was one I guy. Mean, it does create some cool narrative moments. It can. I mean, I mean, because leveling up in the game doesn't make any fictional sense, no, like narrative but it, sense. But you can make it a narrative thing, like oh, you suddenly just like have this flashback and you remember this technique your old master taught you and like the, right. you see the determination right. in the character's eye and it like zooms out from their eye and you find a new depth and you finally understand what he said yeah. or maybe you remember the powers that you, you know. once wielded and bring yeah. them i let the player figure that out or not the game already has enough abstract and weird with people showing up and not showing up and and the strange things about the board gaminess of it it's like a game yeah. that I, that's like not something to get hung up over it for me so but I think that it's really worthwhile to give that out as, as much as we can, and also these kind of rewards, because it's, it's as the DM, too, and you're the one who's running the game and thus running the table, yeah. sort of with an eye on the space as a whole, important to incentivize players to do behaviors that you think feed the game. And I think it works doing it with that breadcrumb style, because the way you do it is you, you usually go like, let's see, you defeated these orcs, so you each get 50 XP for that. Mm -hmm. uh, then you snuck into the stronghold without being noticed. That's another 50 each, right? Doing something like that, like you immediately say, hey, you did this behavior, so here's the reward for right. the behavior. And right. so the human's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing those behaviors for more of those rewards. From an anecdotal perspective, when a player pulls off something, like, like I'm not going to try and charm this person, and some other players at the table are like, I don't know if that's a good idea, really? And then you they succeed, and you reward them experience for their risk and success? Yes. This is a powerful dynamic at the see, table. If I take risks, I can be rewarded. Yes, yes. And they give that immediately, exactly. they get a little bit jealous. The, and handing out rewards kind of allows you to manipulate that that player motivation behavior so i think doing it more frequently rather than waiting till the very end is good because then halfway through the game players are like oh they can alter their behavior then instead of waiting till the end of the game and then saying oh i need to be i need to take more risks next time so we're talking then, about dm advice in porque no las dos and then they get to the end of the game you know next time and they realize they didn't take the risks they thought they were going to do here's here's why i think why why can't we have both and uh, and this is the thing that I, I can't tell DMs of all stripes, I think, enough. And this is very strongly Skylar's style and opinion of game. Definitely hand out experience all the time during the session. And also, I like to do it at the end, too, because there's no reason not to double down oh, on yeah, it. Oh, yeah, if you and miss you get, something. And, or... and, this, and maybe you hand out lesser total in... in, in um, Maybe I'll say same amount total, but less in any different handout, you know, like mm -hmm. small here, here, here. And then also with a lump sum at the end, yeah. because it's the most powerful reward mechanic the game has. And it allows players agency and choice for how they level up smart and where to they end go. With the end of the reward loop, too, because then players like you look at that EXP total and you get that at the end of the game. And you're like, how close am I to the next level? Right. And then you're like, oh, OK, like two sessions, maybe. Right. Right. And I think that's I mean, ideally, you're. I recommend personally splitting XP evenly amongst anyone who participated. I'm sure some people get more specific, yeah, like I, MMO style, where whoever killed the monster. I, 
I just is, don't I go, have I go, patience for I go that. back and forth about this. I think it's really, you know, like, it's If important. they were in the encounter, it's even. That's how I do it. It's don't important make a headache for it for to yourself. be easy. That's the yeah. most important thing. And, and I think the same thing generally too. Like everybody, I'll often just say everybody around at the table yeah. gets experience. Well, yeah. Anything that you unlock, sort of as like a board game. As long as you were game. involved in the encounter, yeah. And often I'll limit it by encounter. As I might, long as you, I might, for me, you have to have taken some risk. You had to have been involved in an encounter. It depends very much, I think, on the kind of encounter for me. There are some that if it's like plot related or mm-hmm. or they unlock something new. I'll grant everybody yeah. in the party experience if even one of them took a risk because they all contributed to it. There's times where like yeah, if everyone's waiting for the road agendas, to sneak through or something. It, it, yeah, I mean if they if but they're, if they're conflicting agendas, let's say one group wants to take the fortress head on, another group wants to sneak in and some experience mm-hmm. rewards happen asymmetrically, then I'll maybe hand them out yeah. separately. I the, mean where it gets sticky is when players want to be like, "Hey, so I missed a session, can I do a makeup session?" Yeah, yeah. I mean and I think that's part of like Part of point of coming to the session is you get XP. It's it's okay to have characters at different levels in a party. People worry about that too much. Like I agree. seriously, don't worry about the that. The game can Just correct for itself. This edition worry, in particular is very good. Exactly. At it. What you should worry more about is giving the XP out correctly to the people who do show up. Uh, because I think you don't want players to level too fast. I think this is a problem that it's easy to fall into because you want to make your players happy. You want to see them progress and get to cooler monsters. But I think the key is to give players time to learn their character without adding new changes and new abilities and switching things up because so many people need more time. They just don't even know what their shit does with their character. Yes. And so I mean, for spells me, spells often take a while to figure spells out. Especially. Right. Um, and for me, I find two to four sessions before leveling is ideal. Um, if you are playing more frequently, you can get along, you can get away with, you know, yeah, less I mean, frequent level ups. And at different levels, it matters too, as well. This like, is true. There's kind if of you, thresholds. If you're starting at level one, then you may end up, if you have experienced players, getting even to level three. Pretty quickly. By the end of your first or second yeah, session. Yeah. You know, like That's, an ex- fast that's definitely because, an exception there. Because you know. And, and I personally by the time you hit prefer level, to start at level three. Right, right. And it, by the time you hit level 15, you're lucky if you're getting a level every other session. Yeah, every couple sessions, I hope. You know, it's rare. because That'd be too fast. Because the advancement is slower. There are different yeah. challenges that you face. There, it's more stakes. But most of the game is in the mid-range where it's like every or every other session, you probably gain a level. And then toward the later end, maybe every other or every third. Yep. You know? I think the sweet spot, if you're playing frequently enough, is like four sessions a level. Third edition provided some really nice, clear math on this. They said, here's the formula. They have it should the thresholds. Be, here, it's every, what they it, do. These, this amount of encounter every every level and it's usually four or you could take this type and split I mean, it up into they have smaller that in ones 5e a little bit too you can actually find it in the dmg yeah but it's not as it's not as easy how how to modify it on the fly right they're like here yeah. you're, of all your stock encounters you can pick these ones and these kinds of monsters can handle for this party and yeah. like okay you can always kind of dmf it and pump it up a little bit here i, and I there. tend to go the other way i'm more like all right what's the experience that we want to have as players? And uh, that reward loop can be both, I beat this monster in D&D at this encounter, but also it can be, I was able to wade through orcs and that was hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes mm-hmm. of them with maybe some way to recoup that the rules the rules don't allow. And I'll give you an example. Horde of the Dragon Queen, as written, you buy the book, it is, assumes a town is under siege and the players have to stop it. And you go through like... I don't know, 12 encounters or something within 24 hours and yeah. there's no opportunity for rest. You know, it even and, writes in there, it says, hey, like maybe 
give your players a rest via these other means exactly. of narrative, exactly. like, oh, a cleric heals you or right. whatever. You, you have to make it up. You the have to po- figure it out for yourself. There's a potion merchant. Right. So there's more flexibility in this than we initially think, right? Which, which I think is part of paying attention to what the players want as their reward loop showing up at the table. Well, that's kind of the point of having a DM is you can identify those reward loops the players create for themselves. Yes. Like, Sometimes it's the party pet, or, and or they're the, like, or that the module they, they presents just want to soup up that party pet and get it some sweet armor, and never have bad things happen to it. That could be a reward loop for your players. You never know; they'll create their own. More common than yeah, but than I find four sessions, <laughs> four sessions is like kind of ideal. Like if you have enough frequent play between levels, because session one you kind of test out those new abilities. Session two you can experiment more and kind of see where the boundaries of your new abilities lie. Session three is where you're pretty confident in what to do. And so you start to form those team strategies and understanding of like your role with these new abilities. And session four, by that time, you're just kicking ass and hopefully leveling up. At least watching a lot of games and playing, I find that if you're playing frequently enough, that's pretty solid. Yeah. I, three I mean, or four, sometimes less, like obviously in the lower levels, hopefully it's This faster. is the assumption that the third edition and its derivatives made. And I don't disagree with it. I think it's it's it was interesting because it was one of the first games that said every every so often this is how often your your characters should increase in in uh, in level. And part of why that was controversial, I think, at the time when they did that, because in second edition this was one of the debates you would read about in Dragon Magazine and, and talk about with friends like, oh, I don't know, my characters stay as one DM would say has stayed at the same level for eight or ten sessions it's been months since they've leveled up and they love it and another dm would say oh man we've gone up like five levels in the past three sessions you know and nerd fight wouldn't see and third edition was like here's the math by the way here's math just stop arguing i think a big part of it is less about how quickly you level up because like frequency of play matters there but how you time those level ups within yeah, the game and what the players get out of it you know and this is why this is not this is where i always go back to the same place like it's job of the dm to pay attention to who is getting what reward loop out of the game and fostering that and where I, that I like to fits say into your narrative the dm's job is to make your character a badass whatever that looks like for you be a fan of the character that's how right, i look at right. it how, what are the goals that you intend to achieve with this character here are the given circumstances of the setting and environment we're in what do you intend to do and you have to deal with all these other people too mm-hmm. um you know, so I think that uh, having some sense of that the progression usually happens faster than we, the DMs, anticipate. Mm-hmm. If it's only four it sessions, can, it's not of, a lot. You can throw a wrench into it, yes. and when all of a sudden somebody can fly, right? And they're like, "Oh, <laughs> or I teleport! Just, I just dinged a level. Now I can fly or teleport." And you're like, "Okay, that really is going to ruin my next two encounters." Uh oh, <laughs> or I got to come up with an idea. And this isn't as big of a deal. You know, if you're playing at home with your buddies, but for Adventurers League, that can be an issue. You know, when all of a sudden someone has a new ability or something out of nowhere, mid-fight or what have you. So the rule you'll usually see, there's actually nothing in this. I looked in the player's handbook saying that you need a rest or a long rest to have your level up take effect. Mm -hmm. It's totally up to GM Fiat. Mm -hmm. But in organized play, players may level up at the end of a long rest or the end of a session if they've earned enough xp now obviously end of a session between sessions is the classic way like that better be allowed damn it of course of course better be i mean that's the standard that's organized play and i think it makes sense for organized play you have to have some rule because you don't you're not going to stop the session in the middle while some player suddenly gets more powerful i agree that said i personally 
recommend limiting them to a shorter long rest or character downtime or quest completion. I like a long just, rest. Just from table management, yeah. that makes it that makes a lot of sense. Fifth edition, it's easy to level up on the fly, mm-hmm. easier than every other it edition. Is. You can so do far. it on the fly, and it's pretty okay. And I think that uh, you know the the. I yeah. just do it because I'm selfish. As a as a counterpoint, the reason easier to plan. The reason why I I I'd let people do it whenever, as soon as immediately, if they want, whenever, is because it uh, it's the core reward loop, you know. And I, and I also, you. but I also will say this: like you, you like the planning better, and this may be a better way to organize it. I'll say, yeah, you can level up whenever you want, but if like you're slow because you're looking up something in a book, you might miss your turn. This is true. So better do it quickly. I mean, it's very true. Level ups are super epic for players, and I think it's pretty cool to be able to like time them with the narrative for certain like climaxes or tension control. And if they're a little more powerful than you anticipate as a G as a DM, then let them be That's because fine. they worked hard for that. Probably Pump up that encounter. It's one of the experiences. Let, let them feel powerful. Yeah. Reinforcements right. can always show up. Right. It's let a, them spank the first wave res- and then bring a second it's wave. It's a resource attrition game. Don't worry. Let them feel real strong for the first wave and then just bring in the second this one. This is something that fifth edition does better than others. Fifth, you can just throw, throw another, ver- another wave at them and uh, numbers you- matter in fifth edition. You'll start seeing when they have fatigue and they run out of resources as and you go, okay. Much as I'm lukewarm on bounded accuracy, I do like that numbers matter. Yeah. I like that, well, we're very outnumbered and that's a thing. Whereas in 3.5, it's like, they can't beat my AC. It's fine. Right. Which is, you know, less superhero-y, but I think it, it adds a good risk-reward ratio, right? I think it, it, it definitely changes the tone of the game. And I think it's it's what the only piece that's missing from that is how if the players decide suddenly in a game that they want to go the other way that uh, they want it to yeah. be that superhero game mm-hmm. and you can see the table rallies around it and you're like all right you're gonna have to find a way to roll with it now i have to break the rules to make this happen i wish that you had thought about this as opposed to try to shoehorn me into your sword and sorcery style yep. which i normally works great but you know hopefully you know your session zero helps you avoid too much of this yes but don't be afraid to throw in a sub goal or a sub quest or an encounter to like kind of like let people level when you need them to that like if it makes sense more narratively for you for them to level before they go into some big boss encounter or something maybe throw a quote-unquote random encounter at them so they can be prepared rewards are almost never a bad thing yeah no one's going to be upset that they leveled up and that they're not going to lose in the next encounter uh the main key thing though make it clear to your players what gets them xp and what doesn't it is so frustrating as a player to do things and not get the reward that you think you were going to get because like there's shifting goalposts on the DM side of things. Yep. And that's something that like you, new DMs may do just because they don't know what else to do. Hopefully it's not all the time and intentional, but players get XP for overcoming obstacles and accomplishing goals, but you have to decide what fits those definitions as the GM and that you got to be consistent with. So your players can make those risk reward decisions. I mean, this is just general good DM advice. Consistency is paramount. Yes. You need to make rulings on the fly, but, but more importantly, you need to present to the other players, a consistent and coherent experience, a world that they can understand that has operable things that they can work off of, whatever the assumptions may be. They'll give you wide latitude on what those assumptions are. As long as you're transparent about them, you know, and give them some agency. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think one of the good ways to do it is just use the easy, medium, hard, deadly rating system that DMG gives you. Um, and just use an average party level. You know, just have an average party level. It'll probably be pretty similar most of the time. And yeah, I Just agree. go with that. Like you said, that way you kind of know, like, 
you have an XP total in mind for what each encounter is. So in you the, can just say, you know, like, okay, you each get 100 XP because of this. And in the, just move in the on. tips and tricks encounter, I think that uh, there, there are two things I would say. One of which is t- tips and tricks box. Uh, one of which is if you have NPCs, cap them at one level lower than the lowest player. At least. You never want the NPCs to outshine the PCs. That's a great, great piece of advice. You know, and, and, and actually don't pay attention to NPC experience. Just bring them along. Whenever always at one it. level lower than the lowest player. They're around and they can contribute, but they're not going to outshine whatever the players choose to do. Yep. Great way to do it. Uh, another one I would say is I, I think it really makes sense in this edition particularly to throw as much reward at you as you can at the players because the ones they aren't interested in will bounce off of them you know it, so this the, actually will happen and you'll find they have magic items that are just sitting there that they forgot that they have they don't use they don't care about or they won't pick yeah. up the gold because they don't need it you know like it's okay in this edition like it's heroic fantasy you can you can throw more rewards of all different types of them and they'll they, just bounce off if they're not interested not a ton of economy built into 5e and, and when they pick up a particular reward then that tells you as the dm the kind of rewards that player is interested in they'll right? build their own mini reward loops just look for them right. once you know the structure you'll recognize it and you'll be like oh they don't care about loot at all all they want is that one ability to get better they just want to soup up fireball that's all this guy cares about right most damage in one strike possible I mean, it's, that's it's all this player want you know whack um so i think that uh what else do we have to yeah, say that's on, pretty much it on experience i, I think mean, that's the, that basically covers I think it the craziest part is that this idea this concept of leveling up and experience that dave arneson came up with is prevalent across almost any major rpg game or game with a progression system that we play today yeah, it's a powerful it's, construct. It's fucking everywhere. And D&D, you can thank D&D for the ability to level up. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first place you saw it. Right. I mean, it's that's and it's now pervasive in our culture. All right. So I hope you guys use this, gain some XP points. Hopefully we level up your game. Level your game up. Let us know, and we'll talk to you soon. Over and out.